Hi, I'm Natalia, and you're listening to Advanced Copy, a podcast for independent thinkers in fashion. I'm pleased to welcome Talia Tserevyagun, strategic brand management consultant and founder of TT Collective. With a wealth of professional experience spanning global brands, internationally renowned department stores, and leading luxury e-commerce platforms, Talia has achieved an ambitious career. But as many of our listeners, she also found herself at a point where the fashion industry's rhythm felt unhealthy. Encouraged by her network and observations of a changing customer mentality, she decided to establish TT Collective, allowing her to share her strategic vision with a multitude of value-aligned brands. We're honored to have Talia here on the Advanced Copy Podcast, as she'll talk us through some of the most pressing subjects concerning modern, conscious fashion companies in an ever-turbulent market. Talia's positivity, transparency and warmth will no doubt resonate and guide our listeners at any stage of their relationship with the fashion industry. Enjoy. Talia, thank you so much for joining us on the Advanced Copy podcast today. Hello, how are you? I feel like we've been trying to make this call happen for a few months now, so I'm really excited. I feel like you're a very special guest, and yeah, I just can't wait to get into it today. As a consultant, you work behind the scenes to help grow successful fashion and lifestyle brands. But before we get deeper into that, let's start with the basics. Do you think you could explain to us where you're from and what you do uh, to those who are not familiar with your work and its scope? I'm the founder of TT Collective, a strategic brand management consultancy whose objective is to bridge the gap between creativity and commerce to deliver sustainable growth for brands in today's complex retail landscape. I've lived many lives. My journey in fashion actually started in Florence, Italy. I have a background in business and economics, and uh, I went to Italy to complete my master's in fashion merchandising and management. And this was really the first time I, I dipped my toes in the fashion industry. I found myself surrounded by incredible creatives, many of which actually I still count as friends and collaborate with to this day. So just being immersed in that community was really my first experience uh, in the industry. And I was fortunate enough to kick off my career in merchandising at a uh, prominent Italian luxury house. So I kind of started at the top of the pyramid and um I worked with a design team there on uh, handbag development, which I often refer to actually as my first true love. Um, most people in the industry know me as a shoe specialist, but handbags and accessories is, is where I started. And it's actually something I'm super passionate about. It was really a wonderful experience, but um, in my mid-20s, you know, we were young and I craved in uh, a more dynamic pace, which quickly led me into multi-brand buying. And then fast forward a few years, a transatlantic move, a lot, a lot of hard work. And I landed on an incredible project of building the largest shoe floor in Canada. 
Um, it was actually 50,000 square feet to be exact. So it was a big undertaking. And that's actually when I first realized that I love building businesses. And uh, on the heels of the success of that, I crossed the pond again. And um, when Netaporte came knocking on my door, and leading their footwear buying strategy was actually a dream come true. I think it's true. Everything they say about creative visualization, I had dreamt of that moment um, many times. And uh, you know, to have the opportunity um, was not only incredible for my professional growth, but it also allowed me to really cultivate some strong relationships in the industry. Fast forward a few years, and I found myself moving at a relentless pace completely unsustainable lifestyle and just juggling from one season to the next, facing burnout like so many in our industry, which is kind of when I decided to take a step back and uh, pursue more balance and purpose in my work. Thank you so much for bringing this up because I think the reality of having this amazing career and, you know, achieving your dreams can also mean burning the candle at both ends and the reality of living that lifestyle every day, the pressure of it on your body and your mind, it's not something that's often talked about in our industry. I think it helps to hear someone discuss it openly, you know, how they've achieved that vision of success that they had, but also the downside of that dream. How did these steps of working for amazing international companies, moving countries, building a career, and then finding yourself at a point where you wanted to slow down. How did that made you decide to start TT Collective? What was the that very first initial intention for the consultancy? The start of the business was actually really organic. I wanted to just take a little bit of time off to reflect, but I got approached by a number of brands to collaborate. And uh, that, you know, quite organically kicked off the business. However, what really spurred it on was the fact that in my roles up until that point, I would often see over 100 collections each season. I would preview a brand's range, provide feedback. And that's when it really became apparent to me that creativity versus commerce algorithm is really something that's a challenge for many brands. I witnessed brands rise and fall simply because of this. And I often found myself thinking how I can truly add value. So when the opportunity came about, I decided to build a business around it. So TT Collective was born from a desire to help brands connect the dots I really wanted to channel my years of experience as a merchant to guide independent brands towards manifesting their purpose, building a roadmap towards their success, but more importantly, actually helping them define what success really looks like. I think a lot of brands lack maybe creativity uh, when it comes to defining what success looks like for them. Um, and that's something that I'm really passionate about helping them bridge the gap towards. The scope of my work is actually quite multifaceted. I always like to say no two brands or days are the same, really. I always take a 360 approach when I look at any business uh, across creative, strategic, collective, defining a brand purpose, building a product strategy for longevity and collaborating across mediums in order to bring it to market. 
And I'm so pleased that you decided to make that step and start TT Collective to actually share your knowledge with others instead of staying in-house for a single store or a specific brand. That just makes me really excited because it means more companies can benefit from your industry knowledge. It's about spreading the love. Exactly. That's exactly what we need right now. And that's what Advanced Copy stands for. I think there seems to be a shift in mentality in fashion and people are a lot more open to talk about their experiences with this hope of, you know, helping each other to actually establish better ways of working in the industry. And I find that so inspiring at the moment. So you have such a breadth of knowledge, which we discussed a little bit earlier. And there are, of course, so many angles which we could take in this conversation and so much of your experience piece by piece would be of real help to independent brands. But we decided to focus on e-commerce channels and specifically direct-to-consumer strategies today. I think it's such an important topic for independent brands in today's competitive landscape. It's the one channel where most brands see the biggest opportunities for growth, especially independent brands who've built their businesses on Instagram and their own e-commerce platforms, which has actually allowed them to keep control of their image, the brand narrative, customer relationships, and of course, allowed them to keep a bigger part of the profit, which is also extremely important, even though, you know, it feels really awkward saying that on record. It feels a little bit like a dirty word, especially for conscious and sustainable brands. But That's not to say that this episode is shunning multi-brand collaborations, department stores, or multi-brand platforms. Not at all. It's just one focus for today's conversation. So I wanted to start off by asking you if you could summarize the most common ways in which independent brands approach their e-commerce platforms. Absolutely. I feel that many brands tend to approach direct-to-consumer as a bit of an abstract concept, almost an afterthought, something they'll get to, or something that's just super daunting. They prioritize sometimes the status and instant revenue of wholesale partnerships. And in fact, they pour all their resources into making that a success and almost just forgetting about the e-commerce and direct-to-consumer element of their business and the potential behind that. I find there's a lack of creativity in this approach. Wholesale partnerships are invaluable. They are a quick way to raise brand awareness. They offer you know, an instant injection of cash flow into the brand that could enable it to scale much faster than if they were kind of going at it on their own. But brands need to be careful because if they don't challenge themselves, they quickly develop an over-reliance on a channel that nowadays has become quite volatile. Another way I see brands approach their e-commerce is like picking a box rather than with actual intention. Throughout my experience in this e-commerce space over the years, it's been proven that a functional and a visually compelling website is the single most important investment in a brand's direct-to-consumer journey. It's really almost like their window to the world, yet so many fail to view it this way. It's also not a static channel. 
it's not just a platform where you just upload product once a season and you let it live there and you do everything you can for customers to come and shop there. In order for e-commerce to realize its potential, it requires kind of a holistic approach across different touch points and making sure that brands are really viewing it as um, the tool that it is. And going from that, what would you say are the pillars of a versatile D2C strategy, the elements for setting a good, solid foundation? Like, as you've mentioned, it's an ever-changing space. So what elements would you recommend brands to focus on, to invest in and to get right, to try to avoid bigger mistakes further down the line? The thing that brands need to really focus on right off the get-go is functionality. So less is more. You can have very simple website that's functioning impeccably well. And that is really the foundational element to any successful e-commerce strategy. I can't tell you the number of brands I come across that have an e-commerce platform, but fail to achieve that baseline. The most important pillar of a direct-to-consumer strategy that I think will resonate with brands, regardless actually of where they are in their e-commerce journey, is community. I think there's been much discussion about the concept of community and marketing lately. Um, it's like everyone had an illumination you know, in and around pandemic. It's about realizing that it's not just about design, quality, fit, craftsmanship, or even whether the product is sustainable. All of these are key pillars. However, the culture of the brand is what customers are buying into. And the e-commerce platform needs to reflect that culture. Now more than ever, independent brands focus too much on the noise and they need to really channel their energy into their unique point of view and rely on the strength of collaborative partnerships in order to reach new customers and build their community. It's about realizing that they can't be everything to everyone. The other key element of a successful strategy is what is their why? So, you know, I respect that creatives feel compelled to create (laughs) And if they're going to channel that into a brand, they need to realize that, yes, it starts with product, but the world doesn't actually need more product. So if you're uploading product onto a site, what is the purpose of it? And how are you narrating that across different touch points? It's about realizing that they should not aspire to just put more things out there. They need to focus on curated product edits, adding value to the customers that are shopping on their website through not just product, but also the service aspect of the website. And the third one is marketing. This is the most expensive. It's obviously the one brand struggle with the most. There's so many different channels nowadays that in order to drive traffic to a site, it's a minefield, right? And it can be quite overwhelming. The simple truth is brands need to go where their customers are, not the other way around. I think this is a concept that's often 
um, quite confused. People think, oh, I'm going to do Google ads and Instagram and all these different marketing tools to get customers to come to my website. But really, it's about the brands figuring out where their customers are, what platforms, what physical locations regionally, and, and working on partnerships, working on creative ways to engage with their customers so that then organically the customers are going to their website. I think they need to think outside of the box, whether it's to launch new products or offering a made-to-order service to give more value to customers. There's a number of tools that businesses can creatively leverage to communicate their message and drive their revenue. And I think often brands can get a bit stuck in just the structure that the industry is um, dictating to them in a sense. I think it's interesting because sometimes you see a new brand come with a disrupting fresh idea and then others start to follow because they see that it works and think, well, that worked for them and it must be the new way of doing things. But as a brand owner, I think you need to figure out what is true to you and to your story, how you can build that community naturally with what's already around you, what's already available. And I'm glad that you pointed all of this out. And again, every single element you just mentioned makes me feel like we need a completely separate podcast episode on each topic because you have such wonderful strategic and holistic approach to brand building. Um, but until next time, you've touched a little bit on common mistakes there, the mistakes that brands can make with their approach to e-commerce. But do you have any specific pet peeves that make you think like, no, you know, don't do that? I wouldn't call them pet peeves. The first common, you know, quote unquote mistake, I guess you could call it, is brands delaying an e-commerce launch or even moving forward with an e-commerce launch if it's not perfect in the sense that it's great to go with a custom website build. In the long term, it's it'll probably be most true to how you want to see the brand out there. However, if you don't have the resources to do it flawlessly, then just don't go there. There's so many platforms nowadays, um, so many people even using just something as simple as Shopify that offer really endless possibilities and have kind of the functionality already built in to take the guessing work out of that. So for me, it's it's kind of, again, I said at the beginning of the podcast, less is more. It's better that you have a beautiful looking functional website that services customers because ultimately that's where they come to you know, interact with your brand and convert rather than having something so elaborate that either doesn't work or holds you up from, you know, kind of growing the business. The second thing is inventory heavy, um, being inventory heavy. So one of the common challenges with launching e-commerce for brands is how much product should we offer online? Obviously, if they're going to, if they have a wholesale distribution, they 
want their website to be kind of the destination for where customers come to discover their their new products every season. But having too much only ends up tying up cash flow. So it's just finding the right balance of how much product is, is really necessary to keep the consumer engaged and how often you should upload product in order to keep them coming back to your website rather than investing in producing the whole collection for your website and then ending up you know with inventory in the warehouse at the end of the season that then you have to liquidate which could damage your brand or you hold on to which eventually loses its value and you know doesn't allow a brand to channel those resources into building their community or into growing their their business and the third thing that is often a common oversight is a fragmented marketing strategy i think it's great when you're first launching, um, it's an ever-evolving dynamic space. Like we said, you have to test different platforms, um, but ultimately you, you kind of have to pick a lane and try to make that your focus. I think making sure that your communication aligns across your e-commerce platform, across Instagram, across your physical presence, wherever that may be and which in whichever form that may materialize is something that is often lost in translation, I find. It sounds quite basic, but it, it's not always the case. And I guess it can be hard to keep a sharp focus and not to swerve, especially if you've had a lull in sales or you feel like there's competition biting at your feet. I think to have that trust in your vision and to persevere in a way that's authentic to you, that can be really, really challenging. You mentioned stock management, which again is a huge topic, which we can only touch upon very lightly in this episode. But have you found that having a tighter approach to stock through limited editions, for example, or drops is better than doing bulk seasonal deliveries? The idea of limited releases has been hyped for a long while now and sounds like a very attractive solution to guarantee better sellouts. So could you share your observations on this? Limiting product release is a key tool, especially in the hype culture that we're living in at the moment. There's always the risk of customer disappointment, which is kind of e-commerce 101. You want to always make sure you have stock um, when customers want to buy it, because ultimately, otherwise, they could just move on and not return. However, I think there's no size-fits-all approach. I think a combined strategy is usually the one that proves to be the best return on investment. I think maybe tightening product offer just a bit, making it really focused, and then layering in some additional product drops of things that you think as a designer should be more limited, whether it's your core product range, because you want to protect the price integrity of that product, or whether it's something that is creatively the direction that you want to take the brand in where you don't need it to live 
you know, on the site for an extended period of time. I think a combined approach is always best. And in some cases, even layering on, I mentioned earlier, like a made to order service, should you have the capability to, I think that would help you kind of tackle any challenges in a more holistic and effective way. So at this point, I'd love to zoom out and look at how independent brands can handle external pressure. So of course, we just spoke about setting up a direct-to-consumer website and having a holistic and authentic approach to e-com, but we can't ignore the reality of the fact that you're then in competition with everybody else in the world, right? So not only with other designers, but most likely also with your own wholesale partners. So I wanted to focus on a couple of concerns here. The first one being discounting. And we'll assume that our listeners would have had the experience with seasonal markdowns firsthand on this point. Specifically, when your stock gets discounted earlier than expected and you're basically, as a brand, forced to mark down. So let's be clear and just reiterate, I believe it's illegal to control or dictate pricing. But as a side note for everyone who wants to learn more about the alternative models to discounting fashion, I just want to say that I really highly recommend episode number six of our podcast with the owner of Grandmark 13. Now, the second external factor, Talia, is how to manage currency conversions when you're shipping worldwide. So that's two really big topics. Um, but could you share your thinking and maybe recommendations on these two external market pressures from an angle of an independent business owner? I think when it comes to factors outside of a brand's control, it's, um, it's really important not to panic and to take everything in stride a little bit. Um, obviously, the broader uh, a brand's distribution network, the more challenges it brings. And I think that's something that brands need to be honest with themselves about. If your ambition as a brand is to achieve that exponential growth early on in the brand's life cycle, and your aspiration as a creative is to see your, your creations distributed globally, then in today's digital age, you need to just be prepared that these are some potential challenges you may face. And it just comes with the territory in a sense. There's no solution for it per se. The, our industry has yet to put in place controls that would mitigate some of these challenges. But ultimately, controlling distribution is a key solution for that. Just being really truthful with yourself and your team as to what potential partnerships may bring. And then if you're willing to engage in them, you have to be prepared to um, you know, navigate these challenges with them. The other thing is having just clarity regarding your product offer. I think in many cases, 
If you're clear with your customers and your partners about the products that are a permanent part of the range and making sure that that's an edited selection and that it's realistic and not kind of 50% of the range and being transparent about that usually will allow them to plan their investments accordingly. It's not a perfect solution, but it definitely helps. And also limiting releases to our point earlier of core products. So if it is something that you want to maintain price integrity for, then making sure that you're not allowing, you know, you're not caving into the pressure of um, these partners to buy thousands and thousands of units of it that then may cause for eventually for it to end up off price because ultimately they're buying into it to achieve their sales targets. But if it's something that for you is an important statement, you need to sort of be a bit more protective of it or come up with exclusive products that if you're, if you have a DTC channel, that's a great opportunity for you to offer exclusive products that are not elsewhere in the market where you can control the price integrity of those products. And of course, keeping a lean structure back of house allows for a bit more flexibility. You know, if, if you scale too quickly and you have like a huge infrastructure behind you, then it may not be profitable for you to take steps to limit releases or in some cases, even occasionally partner with, with clients to take product back in order to protect certain items. This is, these are all the things that a brand can really do to sustainably grow and mitigate um, some of those challenges with regards to off-price. Currency conversion is a whole other ball game. That's one I'm still working out myself. But there's third-party platforms out there that help with that nowadays. They come at a cost. Of course, they take a commission on your sales. But you know, ultimately, if they enable you the opportunity to be well-priced in the various markets where the brand wants to grow their presence, it can be a worthwhile investment. <laughs> Because managing currency conversion and, and pricing in-house for independent brands especially, but even, even large multi-brand retailers that don't have the resources or the staff to manage that in-house, it's a full, full, full-time job. So there's no doubt about um, commissioning third-party support here if you're serious about entering into new markets. I think it would be such a relief for many of our listeners just to hear you say that there is not one perfect answer. And to your point about having a lean structure, I think it's so tempting to say yes to distribution opportunities. But in such a volatile market, I think it's important to always reflect and ask what is the overall goal or even the middle goal when you're in a positive momentum, it's just so easy to say yes and just keep growing to make the most of every attractive opportunity. Exactly. And I think that's, that is really the bottom line is for, for brands to be 
truthful and look inward to determine what it is that their their objective is long term it's it's something i often ask brand partners it's one of the first questions i ask is what is their objective um and if you want to truly build a brand with longevity you need to learn to say no and it's something you said earlier which i really love um it's your passion for rethinking what success looks like i find that uncapped monetary growth and distribution are always at the forefront but most of our ambitions can be summarized under those two categories more distribution partners and annual monetary growth but there's still so many questions to be asked about what success can look like outside of that you know capitalist and consumerist structure for example what are your ambitions for your team for time management the environment or community kind of in the most real sense of the word not just marketing so what do you aim to achieve in these ever more important spheres i think that's a really important question but finally something that came up in a conversation with a friend recently and i couldn't not take the opportunity to ask you this was the fact that some customers hesitate to buy directly from independent brands websites preferring to purchase from well established multi brand website instead so how do you think you as an independent brand can gain customers trust to shop directly with you it's the first time anyone brings this to my attention but my view is the way to build trust is through service right i think maybe there's a barrier to entry in terms of the first purchase i can see where this individual may be coming from there's there's a bit of a perception when you go on an independent brand's website if it's not structured in a very compelling way and doesn't promote ease of shopping you may begin to doubt you know whether the duties and taxes are included or whether the currency conversion is accurate or how the shipping works and and all those elements are probably the reason to trust multi-brand platforms more than independent brands because they're quite clear about their proposition um when it comes to service and a lot of the time independent brands are not clear about their service proposition like we were talking about value proposition and product proposition but service proposition is something that i don't think a lot of independent brands put a lot of focus on when it comes to their website being clear about the parameters around shopping on their website and quite purposefully communicating that um through the various channels is i think a way to build trust with you know new customers thank you so much for sharing that wealth of experience and top line thoughts on e-commerce talia i know that we can go so much deeper and record spin-off episodes many spin-off episodes on all the insights that you've touched upon today thank you for having me it's just been an absolute pleasure to get that one on one on building e-commerce and hearing how to make sure that you actually create something that is not only 
of value, but also adds to the uniqueness of the independent fashion scene. Thank you for listening to this episode of Advanced Copy. We believe in sharing practical information to help create a healthy world of independent fashion. Subscribe and follow us on Instagram to find more pragmatic stories of how to get there. See you next time.